0: Welcome to church this morning. I hope you are happy to be in God's house today. Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever made a decision only to really, really, truly, emphatically regret it later? Have you ever made a decision only to regret that decision you made later? And I'm going to take a gamble and say, Yes, you have. And I don't intend to say that as any sort of disrespect. I mean, I know. I have made plenty of decisions that I have only to live with regret later. I think we all have. Regret is not a a me or you or us or them problem. It's a people problem. People have problems living with regret. But think of those big major ones. You know, the, the, the major decisions that kind of just took emotional energy, took your time. It took a whole bunch of money from you. It may be damaged relationships because you made a decision, you regret it. Have you ever made a big career change only to come out in the losing end? The job isn't what you thought it would be. The transition from one career to the next required far more emotional energy than you thought you had. How about people? Relationships, right? Those are important. We all have relationships. How many people here... Have I ever regret because of a failed past relationship? How many of us are here today contemplating a future relationship with that special someone and you really, really do not want to regret those decisions? How about finances? How many of you have purchased something really big only to have buyer's remorse and regret later on? You, You realized... Oh, I made the wrong decision. I wasted time. I wasted energy. I wasted my money. There is this time. I got to tell you a story about myself. I will be completely transparent. Anything you want to know about me, just ask. And if you want to know the truth, ask my wife. She'll tell you the truth. There was this time I bought a boat. Yeah, I knew that's the reaction I'd get. I did. I bought a used boat, okay? Now, it was selling for cheap. And our amazing worship leader who leads us every Sunday... My fantastic cousin was like, hey, there's this boat for sale. You need to buy it. And I thought, Matt, you are right. I need to buy that boat. I was convinced I could buy this boat, by the way, even though it didn't work, and I could buy this boat, and my, if I could fix it up, my family would just have a blast all summer, right? It, was just, it would just be the most amazing time if I bought this boat. I had visions of my kids catching 22-pound bass, you know, smiles from ear to ear, they're skiing at the age of seven because I got them a boat. I'm sitting back holding my two-year-old. My wife looks at me with that superhero look like, man, you are so amazing you bought this boat. My two-year-old, he's not crazy in the boat or neurotic like at home. He's chill, soaking up the sun. You know, you have all these visions going on in your head when you want to buy a boat. Well, can I tell you the story of the boat? Can I go? I'll give you a little more detail. Day one, bought the boat. Okay. $550. All right. Some of you are like, $550, that was a good gamble. Well, listen, you got five kids, right? I mean, I don't know how many gallons of milk that is, but I count money in gallons of milk, okay? So if we spend money on something, I have to say, how many gallons of milk did I just throw away? So bought the boat, $550. By the way, it was a, I forgot to leave this out, it was a 14-foot speedboat, okay? And maybe you don't know how to do measurements in your head, but a family of seven is never fitting in a 14-foot speedboat, ever, ever. There's maybe room for half of us. So still day one, bought the boat, ripped apart the engine, because we were just so convinced we could fix this boat. Could not fix the boat. Day two, day two, woke up, contacted a, a marina that had used parts in it, okay? Three hours north, but they had the part that I needed. Hooked up the boat to my Suburban, drove six hours round trip to buy the boat part, Put the boat part in, boat part did not work, boat still did not run. Day three, drove two hours back north to my uncle's house because he's a mechanic, right? And he can surely help me fix this boat. And he lives next to a lake. So I thought if I leave early enough, I can fix the boat, be in the water by 11 and everything's going to be amazing. Spent around five hours attempting to fix the boat in my father-in-law's driveway with my uncle, still did not work. Right around day two, I realized I needed this part. I skipped this, and I bought a part from eBay. That part was the wrong part. There's $65 more out the window. So I purchased a boat for $550. I purchased $300 of boat parts. That didn't work. I filled the tank of our 2004 Suburban about five times traveling to fix the boat. I spent pizza one day driving driving back because a friend came with me, and I had to feed him. So I figured I spent around $1,200 on this boat that never worked, that never saw my children catch 22-pound bass, that did not teach my 7-year-old how to barefoot ski. And so it wasn't until the next summer I sold the boat for $500 to a guy who was convinced he could fix it. Now, maybe your regret doesn't come from purchasing a boat like mine, Okay? And if you are going to do that, there is some wise counsel right here in this room, you could ask. And I just totally neglected. But you do have situations in life that cause regret. We hate to live with regret. At our core, it just, it bothers us. And it takes so much emotional energy from us. It's safe to say that we all have experienced the regret of an unwise decision. Purchasing a boat that I thought would work that never worked to begin with was an unwise decision. And this is because I made a decision based on what I think I could do. We tend to do that. We, we make decisions based on what we think we can do. I like what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. There's a, Proverbs is a book of the Bible. It's towards the middle of your Bible. And it's a bunch of little sayings. They call them wisdom literature. Okay, they're not necessarily promises. They're not do A, get B type of things. The book of Proverbs, um, you can think of it as like, um, it's an experience book. Here's what I did, and here's the experience I, I did once I lived that way. Okay, so the book of Proverbs says, be not wise in your own eyes. Isn't that nice? It makes you feel great this morning, doesn't it? Be not wise in your own eyes. I think we need to be aware of making decisions. And maybe they have much more at stake than purchasing a $1,200 boat. It was not a $550 boat. I actually have to be truthful when I talk to people. But we do need to be wise in our own eyes when we are making decisions. And it's right now, at this moment, we can stop and ask ourselves is it possible then to not be wise in our own eyes? And is it possible to live each and every day without experiencing the regret of making an unwise decision? Ask yourself do you want to start making decisions that will not leave you in the stink of regret? I think everyone would raise their hand if I asked you to, which I'm not going to. And I would say, today, if you, if you could leave here today being equipped to make decisions in a, in a more wise way, a better way without living with regret, would you want that? I think we'd say yes. And the Bible says it is possible to minimize the amount of time we live in regret if we ask God for Wisdom. We will minimize the time we spend in regret in this life based on the decisions that we make if we ask God for wisdom. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, turn them on to the letter of James. If you have a Bible, it's towards the back side, this right side here. If you see the book of Revelation, you've gone too far. That's the end. So back up a few pages. Also, in the front of your Bible, there's like this page that says, hey, the letter of James is on X page. So you can can look that up and get there that way. I'll give you a few minutes to find it. James. Chapter 1, I have entitled this message, Between Two Worlds. We are truly living between two worlds. Before I read James, I want to give you the big idea. Here's the big idea this morning. Here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. Faith, faith is not a button to be pushed. It is a lifestyle of belief. Faith is not a button that we push when we need wisdom. It is a lifestyle of belief. Let's read it together. James chapter 1. We're going to read uh, 5, 6, 7, eight. We're going to read four verses together. If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right. That was a good ready. Okay. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. We've talked about this, right? Let him slash her ask God. We've got our brothers and our sisters. It's okay. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Here's what I need you to know today. Wisdom is said to be the one virtue, that one characteristic that Christians lack the most. I know that hurt just a little bit for you. I'm sorry. Okay. The Bible said it wasn't me. All right. But, but wisdom is a virtue. And I would argue Christian, non-Christian, it's not a them or they discussion. But in general, if I'm speaking of my own tribe, my own people, the Christians, right? Those who have claimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, wisdom is a virtue that we lack the most. And this is how it plays out. We we have a decision to make. We do not seek the wisdom from God, but rather we live day to day relying on our own wisdom. We, we live day to day being wise in our own eyes. And when we live as though we are wise in our own eyes, we miss what God has for us. We absolutely miss what God has for us because we're so consumed with what we want or what we think we need. But I want you to know that God has a much bigger and better plan for your life than you do. He has a far bigger and far better plan for your life than actually you could even put together. Let me go a little deeper on this. Uh, think of a God of all creation, right? Remember, at CityGate Church, we, we speak of a big God. He is not a compartmentalized, small God. We only bring him out when we need him type of thing, like sunscreen for 60 days of the year, right? He's not like that. He is a big God. He is the God of all creation, He is the one true living God, capital G, God, not lowercase g, God. He is the God who will come to judge the living and the dead. He is the God who knows of every hair on every head, not only in this room, but over the entire planet. He is the God that knew your name and knew of your existence before the earth's foundations were set in place. That's the God we're talking about. That's the God of the Bible. And he, he is willing and waiting to give you wisdom so your life can be bigger and better than you had ever planned. He is willing to give you wisdom that will never leave you void, that will never leave you frustrated, and that will not allow you to live in the past regret of unwise decisions. He is willing to give you wisdom, sure enough, to keep you from the crashing waves of this life. James writes, if you need wisdom, that's what he says, ask God and God will give generously. James is an early Christian. This letter was written in the 40s, right? I'll do this again. Not 1540, not 1640, not 1740, but 40. Nothing before it. The 40s. This is probably... this is the oldest letter in, your, uh, in the New Testament. This is the first letter probably written. And James was the leader of the first early church. And at this time, this church was all spread out all over the region. You had people following Jesus that were separated from one another, who were, who were living in their own respective towns and villages, and people thought they were crazy, they were being taken advantage of. They had a hard life to live because they were worshiping a totally different God. They didn't follow the, the religious systems of their day. And James writes to these people, and he sends them this letter. And he says, if you need wisdom, ask God, and God will give generously. I love this phrase, God will give generously. Because this means that God will give more wisdom than is required. Because that is what generosity is. Generosity means you're giving more than what's expected. You're giving more than what is required. And this means God will give more wisdom than is actually required for your life or your circumstance. If we ask him, he will give generously. He he doesn't just give us what we need to get by. He gives us more than we need. But then, right after that, James provides a warning. James says, we are to ask for wisdom in faith. In faith, we are to ask for our wisdom. Because when we ask in faith, we're asking God, while we are at the same time believing in who he is, believing in what he has done and what he will continue to do. That's how you live in faith. That's a very practical way that we can live in faith. He, he will, when we ask God for wisdom, we want to ask God while we are at the same time believing who God is, believing what he has done, and believing what he will continue to do. I want to mention a few things about the warning the warning, James says, let me read it again. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Verse seven, for, a person that, for that person who is tossed like a wave must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. The combination of these words, um, the combination of doubt and belief These uh, same combination of words that James uses in this paragraph are found in a different part of the Bible. Same exact layout, same exact words. And they are found in the story when Jesus withered a tree to death in front of his disciples. There's another part. there's There's a story where Jesus is teaching those who are following him about prayer, okay? He's teaching people about prayer. And Jesus, he looks over at this fig tree, and there's no fruit. There's just leaves. It's not producing anything, It's just got leaves on it. There's nothing good to pick off this tree and eat. It's it's useless. May have looked nice, but there were no figs. And he looks over at the fig tree and he basically, at his word, he causes it to wither and die. That's what he does. At his word, the tree withers and dies. And it was in that moment that Jesus said this to those who were following him. That's what he says. Uh, Matthew 21, you can write that down, read out the story. Matthew 21, you can read the story. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to this fig tree, but you also can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it'll be done. And it will be done. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. That's what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what has been done to this fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. Then this last statement says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Those words, belief or believe, have faith, that phrase, and the word doubt, same combination James uses here to address those early Christians. And when, they say, when he says, if you ask for wisdom, believe, have faith, do not doubt. And this is where we discover the power of this paragraph. This is where we discover the power here, okay? We need to know this because he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. So what does that mean? Like, what does that mean not to doubt? I mean, I have a doubts about a lot of things. Now it's almost every Sunday I walk in doubting the AC is going to work. Okay, it's that kind of doubt. We doubt a lot of things, don't we? But James here is not describing someone who is doubting intellectually, okay? He's not describing, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. I want you to think of this word doubt as having a dispute with yourself, okay? James says, if you seek divine God-like wisdom, That quite clearly, God says that we need to live this life. We live between two worlds. We need God like wisdom. He says you gotta ask for it in faith, without doubting, without having a dispute within yourself. On one hand, we absolutely believe what God can do, don't we? We believe who He is, we believe in what He has done. And we so look forward to what he will continue to do in our life and the lives of our friends and our family and our children and our grandchildren. We believe in what he can do for our communities and for our households in our world. But on the other hand, we absolutely do not believe. We doubt. This perfectly describes the dispute in our heart and in our mind nearly every single day of our lives. It's not an intellectual doubt. James does not write this letter to, to these early people. He does not write this letter to us receiving it today, uh, struggling uh, with their faith because um, they don't know if God is true. They don't know if God exists. They're really struggling with who God is as a person. That's not the type of doubt he's talking about. James is saying this, seek wisdom from God, ask in faith by believing who he is and what he, does, what he has done, what he will continue to do without without having a conflict of loyalties in your life. You should have no conflict of loyalties in your life. When you ask God for wisdom, your faith cannot be divided in two. Your life, your heart, your mind, your soul must not be divided in two. You cannot have faith in God and then also faith in the things of this world. You cannot set all of your hopes and dreams and plans in the person of God, as well as set all of your hopes and dreams in your career, in your bank account, in your relationships, in your children, in your area in which you live, in your vacation home, or your boat that you will purchase after today because you got inspired. It says you can't doubt. True faith is not divided between God and our body image. True faith is not divided between God and our desire for pleasure. True faith is not divided between God and our money. James says, if you seek wisdom, if you desire wisdom, you ask in faith without doubting, without having this, these, the, the world and God battling for who you are inside. Let's read it again. Verse five and six, let's read it again. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. The one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Let me read this again now with some of the words that we just described and unpacked a little bit. Let me read it again, okay? This is the Bible with some other words. I'm I'm not changing the Bible. Don't send me an email or text me, okay? It's not my goal here. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reprimand or finding fault in what you have done. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously, who gives you more than you need without reprimanding you or without finding fault in what you have done or how you have sinned or who you have hurt, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Let him pray to God for wisdom without having conflicting loyalties in his or her life, and it will be given to you. That's what James is saying. So, knowing this, then, what? Isn't that the question? What now? Lots of information. I don't know what to do with it. You're right. I shouldn't have conflicting loyalties. I should be loyal to the God who saved me. I should hold fast to the faith that freed me. It worked out. I didn't even plan that. Good song, by the way. So, now then, let's apply this to our life. Let's apply this to our life because we have plenty of truthful information. We understand what James is saying, but without proper application, without weaving this into our everyday life, we walk out of here approaching those big decisions in the same way that we did when we walked in here. Nothing changes. So here's how I think we apply this. Number one, you ask God for wisdom. We spoke this earlier. By believing while believing, at the same time believing, having faith in God's character, God's purpose, and God's promises. We seek wisdom, we pray for wisdom while believing in God's character, God's purpose, and God's promises. Write this down if you have your Faith Works journals. We also have free Faith Works journals in the back. They're little brown journals you can grab on your way out. We're sort of journaling our time through the letter of James this summer, and I want you to use that during the week as you pray, as you think of things in your walk with Jesus. I want you to write those down and reflect on them. You can Catch one on the back as you leave, they're free. Write this down. When I am facing a decision, I cannot decide what to do. I will pray with complete faith in God's character. And that's the first one. I will pray with complete faith in God's character. God is good. He's the very characteristic of good. That is his character. Like if you were to say, what does the word good mean? Where do we get that word good? Like when I say that is good, you know, the one who owns that word, that is God himself. God is at his his essence. He is good. There is no one like him. And he is good because he accepts you exactly as you are here today. He will receive you and accept you exactly as you are today. Now, he's really, really good because he loves you enough to not keep you in that spot. He accepts you as you are today, but he loves you enough to not keep you there. He is perfect. God has never erred. Isn't that weird? He's never had to live with regret. He is perfect. He is right. He is love. He is grace. He is this thing you do not deserve, yet you can have unlimited access to. He is mercy. He removes the punishment you so much deserve because he's merciful. So I will, play, I will pray in complete faith in God's character, knowing who God is. Number two, number two, I will pray with complete faith in God's purposes. God has a purpose. God does not just exist to exist in his awesomeness. He's just not floating around and existing in his awesomeness. He has a purpose. He is for a reason, He is the good and gracious God. This is the God who sent Jesus Christ to seek and save those who are lost. That is his purpose, to enter into our world and to reach people who are far from him. That is God's purpose on this world. This is what he is occupied with. This is what fills his emotional space. God is concerned with those who are living far from him. And he sent Jesus Christ to our world, to live among us, to dwell among us, to go seek out those who are lost. His purpose is to accept you based on what he does for you, not based on what you can do for him. Please do not forget that. You will not get a bunch of go do this so God will love you type of information at this church. That is wrong, that is evil, that is from the devil. You will not get that here. We will not tell you good advice. We will tell you good news. And the good news is this, that exactly where you are today, God will receive you and accept you into his family based on what Jesus has done for you in your place. That is his purpose. His purpose is to save those and love those who are far from him. When you believe in God's purpose, you are reminded of what he has done for you. Do not forget that. Even in the darkest moments of your life, even deep in the valley, do not forget what God has done for you. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? Number three, I will pray in complete faith. I said that wrong. I will pray with complete faith in God's promises. This is where we should all start to get excited. It's, I don't know, like 79 in here. We're almost done, I swear. Because the Bible says all of who God saves and accepts and receives, God will keep. Man, we need to know that every Sunday, don't we? We walk in here, more than half of us, and we actually think God has walked away from us based on what we have done or not done that week. That's the reality of our life. We are so self-condemning, it just makes us sick. You do realize that the promise God has given to those who love him is that he will never leave you. He will never turn you away. Because the sin that you showed up to his throne with and said, please forgive me, take all of this. He has taken it. And the Bible says it as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says, God remembers your sin no more. We are the ones that remember our sin. We are the ones that say, God can't love me the way I am. I'm just too messed up. I've fallen too many times. The promise says, his promise says, I will never walk away from you. You will never leave my hand. And on the last day, I will raise you up for you to worship with me forever. Know that movie? Yes. He will never turn his back on you. So many of us here walk in every Sunday, investing in things and people, investing in the things of this world that we think will provide us with peace and wisdom and patience and love. And those things turn their back on us. They do. We'll put all of our energy and we'll put all of our life's hopes into a person. And then that relationship breaks down. And then we think, well, that wasn't what I had planned. That wasn't supposed to happen like that. And we're devastated. We'll put all of our money and security and hopes and dreams in the money that we can make. We'll put all of our hopes and securities in the money. Because we think, well, if my bank account is larger, then surely there are no more problems. Money is a lousy friend. Money is a lousy friend and it's a horrible God. It'll let you down. It'll turn its back on you. There is only one, only one who keeps his promise in this life. That's Jesus. He says, if I have saved you, I will keep you forever. So if you want to seek wisdom for your life, if you want to live with less regret tomorrow than you did with yesterday or today, you go to God who will give more wisdom than you absolutely need if you ask in faith. Meaning, if you ask him while believing in who he is, what he has done, and what he will do in your life. There's a man named Paul in the New Testament. He wrote this. Check this out. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nor things of the present, nor things to come, no power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing, God says, I promise you, there is nothing that will separate you from me. This is how we approach God. Believing in His character, His purpose, and His promise. And these are the words that should move us today. Those this is the warning for us today. I'm sorry I said that wrong. I, I want to give you a little warning, okay? These are why these words should be more, so important to us, because James says, those who doubt God do not receive from God. That's what he says in the last verse. Well, two, uh, 7 and 8. For the person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You are like a wave in the ocean and nobody knows what those things are gonna do. Wherever the wind turns, that's where the wave goes. Always seeking, never arriving. Those who doubt God do not receive from God. You know, there are so many decisions that we must make in this life. But let me end with the one decision I think we all need to start with. You must decide who you are loyal to. You must decide who fills your loyalty bucket. If you strip away all the clutter, the job, the money, the problems, the pain, the relationships, the children, the house, where I live, where I don't live, what I have, what I do not have, strip away all of that and you are still left with one decision that remains most important over all other decisions. And that decision is, who are you loyal to? The Bible says that all those who are loyal to Jesus and Jesus alone will receive the promise of life. And I plead with you, do not let the clutter of this life, even the clutter of the day as you leave here this morning, don't let that distract you from the major decision that God calls every single person in this world to think about and to make. one decision you must make in your life, you follow Jesus or you do not follow Jesus. There is no in-between. Those who follow Jesus are saved. They're saved. They're saved from their sin. They're saved from evil. They're saved from their selfishness. And they're saved for their future relationship in Jesus. And this is the faith. When you look upon Jesus and believe in him and who he is and what he did for you, that is the essence of your faith. Your faith is secure. Your faith is real. we am gonna end with this story. There was a man hanging on the cross next to Jesus when he died. So Jesus, at about the age 30, starts to preach and starts to teach. He heals people. He walks around for about three years and the current religious community hates it. They absolutely hate it. They miss the whole mark. They miss the point. And so he's rejected by his best friend. He's arrested. He goes to court. It's rigged. He's guilty. He didn't do anything wrong. They beat him, they whip him, they torture him, and they lead him to a cross. A tree in the shape of a cross. They'd nail you on one, stick you in the ground, and you would die from suffocation. That's, it was an old ancient practice of torture. There were three people on that hill. There was Jesus and a man on either side of him. I'll read you the story. One of the criminals... who was hanged, uh, rallied at him, said to him, are you the Christ? Are you not Jesus, the Messiah? Are you not the savior? Save yourself and save us. That's the guy next to Jesus. That's what he's saying. But the other man rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation and we indeed, we're here because we deserve it. We're here justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, same guy, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said back to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. At the end of time, when God judges this man, here's what I think will happen. We will all lean in to figure out what exactly is gonna go down with this guy. We're all gonna wanna know. Can that truly be the only thing someone needs to do is look at Jesus and believe in who he is and what he has done and what he will continue to do to be saved? Certainly there's more to that than that, isn't there? Isn't there a checklist I need to complete? Isn't there a bunch of stuff I gotta go through, some religious stuff? We're all gonna lean in and think, what really is this guy's fate? Is that all that it took? And we will watch God as he sees the the man's sin and he'll be like, sin, yep, I, I dealt with that. I dealt with that one. I dealt with that one. I don't remember what they were. Sin, 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 gone. It's all gone. I forgot about all of it. And God will see a man who threw himself upon his mercy, who knew that he deserved what he was getting, yet stared in the face of God. God is gonna find a man who who has received his grace, that gift that he does not deserve. And God's gonna embrace a man who looked upon the Savior, his son, Jesus Christ, who welcomed the forgiveness that Jesus gave cause this man to speak in a completely different way than the other man who was hanging on the other side of Jesus. He said Jesus was real. And Jesus is real. So if you need faith here today, I can tell you that the God of all creation has supplied that for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you need wisdom today, if you're longing for wisdom, I want to tell us to move towards asking God He will give it generously if you do it in faith without doubting. Amen?